This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to the Scholarly Podcast. My name is Dr. Stephanie Maximus, and I am an assistant professor of medicine and medical educator at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. And today I'll be discussing a lot of interesting issues around virtual interviews for fellowship applicants with our guest, Dr. Shireen Alam. And she comes to us from Emory University, where she is an associate professor of medicine in the Division of Pulmonary Allergy, Critical Care, and Sleep. Uh, and she is also on staff at the Atlanta VA Medical Center, as well as the fellowship program director for their pulmonary and critical care medicine fellowship. So Dr. Alam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So like I mentioned, we'll be talking today about a paper that you wrote with uh, several other educators, leaders in education, I should say, within pulmonary and critical care medicine on the virtual interview experience, perspectives of pulmonary and critical care fellowship applicants that came out in ATS Scholar recently. So to start off, I just wanted you to give us a little bit of background and tell me about how this project even came to be. Like, how did this group of investigators even come together? Because it's a really, looks like a very kind of diverse group representing several different institutions. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I want to say that I was really lucky to work with all of these uh, wonderful people. Like you said, they're leaders in their field and educators. Most of them are actually all of them are either program directors or associate or assistant program directors. So it was really wonderful to work with all of them. Um, So the idea of the project actually came about during a monthly meeting of the Association of Pulmonary and Critical Care Program Directors, APCCMPD, that's a mouthful. But it was sometime like in the late summer, early fall of 2020, and we were all right in the middle of our first forced virtual interview season uh, due to the pandemic. And so there was a discussion on the forum about the future interview seasons and whether we should continue to offer virtual interviews even after the pandemic was over. We were at that time naive enough to think that the pandemic was going to be over after the winter of 2020, and here we are. But most of the PDs who participated in the discussion were actually pleasantly surprised with the process, with how easy it was, and were open to continuing virtual interviews in the future. But then we quickly realized as we were discussing that we were missing an important voice there, which was obviously that of the applicants themselves. So, you know, the idea came up to survey them to get their input about the process. At the time of the discussion, there were, I think, upwards of 120 people on the call, so PDs and APDs, and we ended up forming a group of those who expressed an interest in participating. And I think we ended up being about 13 13 people who co-authored the paper. And then we quickly realized that actually the group of applicants that we were about to survey was really an ideal group to study because to our knowledge that year, all the pulmonary and critical care programs conducted virtual interviews. Nobody did in-person interviews. And so we knew that all of these candidates did uh, virtual interviews. And then they had all gone through the traditional in-person interviews three or more years prior. So that experience could serve as a comparison for them. So it sounds like 
by participating in the APCCMPD group and a little bit of right place, right time and being ready to take on a project for a question that you had in real time, it sounds like things kind of came together with a great group of collaborators. Yeah, that's absolutely how it, how it worked. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, and that's good advice too, I think, for our listeners about sort of being involved in these in these organizations to facilitate connecting with people outside of your institution, both for generating ideas for how to do practical things and then also for doing really interesting research that helps to inform um, what we do in medical education. So that's yeah, a great absolutely. example. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it's even easier now with the virtual, you know, format that we are all so used to. It's not great, but it's much easier to get involved and to be there on the call and to put something in the chat and generate discussion. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how did you come to select the process by which you would do this project? And can you tell us a little bit of just about the background and methodology of how you came up with how to examine this question? Yeah, so you know, we all had a lot of different questions that we were curious about at the beginning of the project. And I think sometimes when you're trying to design a survey, it can be tempting to try to cram as many questions as possible. But it's also important to remember that it's better to start with specific goals or resource questions or aims that you want to address, and then carefully choose your questions to allow you to address those specific aims. And so we, the first thing we did is that we got together and we figured out what the goals of this survey were, and we generated three goals or questions. So the first one was assessing how effective applicants thought virtual interviews were in evaluating the programs that they were interviewing with. The second one was what components of the virtual interviews were most helpful and which were less helpful to them. And then finally, the main question was the original question that we were debating, and that was, what would applicants want to see in future seasons? And then once we had our goals, we collaborated on a, on a shared document and created just a bank of questions to address these goals. And then we used a modified Delphi method to decide which questions to keep, which to throw out, if questions were overlapping. And then one of the most helpful steps I thought uh, in the design was to not to forget to pilot the survey on actual residents. Uh, that step was really very informative and the feedback that we got from the residents was invaluable and allowed us to clarify certain questions to make sure that everybody understands what we're meaning by each question and then made the survey flow better and made the survey like a good length, uh, about a 15 question survey. Hmm. Who did you end up piloting the survey on? A handful of the PDs who were some of my co-authors uh, sent that survey to residents who were in the process of applying to other specialties. So either GI, mm -hmm. cardiology, so a non-PCCM applying. So they're, they're in the midst of their own uh, uh, interview seasons as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great point about how we, uh, as the survey writers, may think we know all the things, but in fact, the recipients of the survey may point out things that we are blind to. Yeah. So that's a key step. I really appreciate you highlighting that. Was there a lot of debate? What, like, Was it hard to kind of come to a consensus around what to include in the survey? Or did it, because you clarified your, your main goals from the get-go, did it come together actually pretty simply? I think overall, it came, it came together pretty well and pretty quickly. We did have a lot more questions that we ended up with in the end. 
Uh, and that took a little bit of like, you, you really don't want a very long survey because you want people to, to complete the survey once they open it. Uh, I think there was a little bit of debate about like, do we really need that specific questions? Like, for example, one of the questions that ended up not making it to the final survey was if people had canceled a lot of interviews. It was a maybe interesting, or we would, we were curious about that, but it wasn't really something that was going to answer any of, of our initial questions. So we ended up like eliminating some of these questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like, yeah, you, there's a balance between sort of practicality of actually keeping things within a certain time demand of the person taking it, length to actually get a survey response that will inform and actually answer the questions that you have versus all the other things that we wish that we could ask any applicant that, you know, as an interviewer, as a program director, you may want to know. So I think there's always a tension there. Yeah. I mean, that being said, it looks like your survey response was around 30% or so, which, as you mentioned in the paper, that's not very far off, actually, where most physician survey responses are. So I guess as physicians, we're not the best at answering our surveys. You know, any reflections on that? And did you, were you concerned when you got those responses back that there was any particular perspective that might be missing? Yeah, so I'm not going to lie. We were hoping for a higher response rate, but... It is what it is. We got about 30% response rate. And like you said, it is not far off from most actually email uh, surveys. I think email fatigue does play a role into it. Uh, In addition to us being or surveying people who are pretty busy, they're residents. We were in the middle of a pandemic. So I think all in all, we were quite lucky to get these many responses to begin with, I think. But to the question of like, could we have been missing any specific group? Uh, It's a good question and I don't necessarily have a good answer to it. We did try, we we looked at the demographics of our sample and compared it to the demographic of the population of applicants through ERAs. So all the residents who applied to pulmonary and critical care medicine in ERAs and our sample demographics was really resembled pretty closely that of the population of applicants, maybe with the exception of gender. We had slightly more women in our sample than in the era's applicant population. But otherwise, like we had a good distribution of race and ethnicity that was pretty similar. So I, I don't really know if the slightly more women percentage in our sample affected the results of the study or not. I, I can't really see how it would have. And I, I also know that our results as a whole were pretty similar to other studies. Specifically, there was another study conducted by the NRMP the year after, so a year later, of all the medical school students or residents who applied in the 2021 match. And our responses were pretty similar to them. So I I don't know that we, I'm really able to identify a specific group whose perspective we were missing in in our study. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, and I think there's, there's a lot of face validity to the, to the answers, you know, reading the, reading the responses, it makes sense, a lot of it. And I think if it is further supported by another study, like even, even better, from a more diverse or broad, even broader audience. So I think in spite of the like relatively low response rate, it sounds like it was adequate, which is great. Yeah. yeah. And there, and the NRMP response rate was also in the 30, like 20 to 30% range. So I guess we're all really 
bad at responding to We're email all surveyed surveys. Out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and emailed yes. out. Yes, yeah, you have to be uh, brave to to go that route. So, I mean, more props to the group for for like taking this on and answering a tough question with the instruments that we have available to us. So, tell us then about the main findings. What were the main takeaways that our listeners should be aware of, or any fellowship program director should be most cognizant of? Yeah. So. Here are the main or important takeaways from the study. First, our applicants did a median of about nine virtual interviews, and 35% of them reported having applied to more than 50 programs, which is a lot of programs. About a third, 30% of uh, the respondents said that they applied to more programs and participated in more interviews as a result of the virtual interview format. The majority of the respondents thought that virtual interviews hindered their ability to evaluate a few things. One is program facilities, program culture, the location, the faculty fellow relationships, and finally their own fit within the program. On the other hand, most thought that they were able to evaluate the clinical experience, the curriculum, and the research and academic offerings of the program just as well with virtual interviews as they would have in in-person interviews. And then the opinions about their ability to evaluate diversity and inclusion and fellow satisfaction in the program were pretty split with half of them thinking that virtual interviews were worse and half of them thinking that they were about the same as in-person interviews. And then our second question was the elements of the virtual interviews that were more or less helpful. And so our uh, respondents found that the interview with the program director, interview with faculty and other division leaders, as well as the informal meeting with the fellows were pretty helpful elements. Other helpful elements were the live presentation by the program director and the program website. So these were the most helpful elements. Other elements were less helpful or like somewhat or not helpful uh, were conference access, pre-recorded program director presentations, and then virtual hospital tours, video testimonial, virtual city tours, and then open houses, which were these like informal meetings with the fellows or with program leadership that were happening either the night before or the night after the interview. And so these were thought to be somewhat less helpful. Uh, And then finally, to our main question of what kind of interview format applicants would like to have in the future, the majority, 43%, chose virtual interviews uh, with an optional visit as their choice, followed by 29% who still wanted to go back to in-person interviews only, and about 19% wanted to be given a choice between in-person or virtual interview, and only 9% opted for virtual interviews exclusively. So these were the main takeaways. And then one last important question that we asked that I wanted to highlight was if the applicants would worry that if they were given a choice between a virtual interview or an in-person interview, if they would worry that their choice would affect their ranking by the program. And to that question, a staggering 89% said that they would worry about that. Yeah. Okay. So there's, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I think the thing that stood out to me the most from some of this was this concept of fit. 
this concept of, you know, the intangible piece that is really hard to convey on a website or in a, in a brochure or kind of like data wise, it's really much more about like the interaction. So can you tell me about more about like, what does that mean to you and how, or the other investigators when you used that word, um, or when you think that the applicants were using that word back to you, if there was any kind of further explanation about that? Um, what are they looking for? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, we didn't invent, obviously, the word fit. The word fit actually is reported in a lot of the NRMP studies as one of the most important factors that both applicants and programs consider when they're recruiting or during the recruitment process. And despite that, there's really not a commonly accepted definition to, for that term. But you know, broadly defined, I think fit refers to the compatibility between an individual and their work environment. And the, actually the Association of the American Medical Colleges defines fit in the context of trainee selection as having a couple of dimensions, one being the person, what they call person organization fit, which is the congruence between an applicant's goals, attitudes, work and learning preferences, and that of the program or the organization. And the other is person job fit, which is the compatibility between the applicant's competencies, knowledge, their skills, and their abilities, and those required to be successful at the resident job or the fellow job. So there is actually some evidence from the business psychology world or the business world that these types of fit have moderate or strong correlation with long-term outcomes of job satisfaction, attrition, and maybe to a lesser degree, overall job performance. So ideally, our interview process should allow applicants and programs to be able to evaluate their fit. And I think on a more personal level, from a trainee's perspective, fit also refers to the you know, ability of the program to fulfill that resident's training needs, which can easily be accessible in a virtual interview, I think, because they, they reported they were able to assess the clinical and the academic and research uh, offerings pretty well through virtual interviews. But it also can refer from a trainee's perspective to how comfortable they feel in that program or how comfortable they feel in the city. And that's a little bit harder to do in a kind of very scripted virtual platform, in my opinion. And I think the, the danger that has been quoted and studied in relying on quote unquote fit for recruitment is that it can be misconstrued to mean a specific character or cultural traits that you fit with the other people in the organization. And so it can lead to kind of unconscious bias. It can lead to cultural homogeneity and kind of hurt diversity. And I think that's a danger that can be present with both in-person interviews and with virtual interviews alike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is something that has been a source of a lot of discussion, certainly in general, as we try to enhance the whole pipeline within medicine, but especially within our own field of trying to diversify the pool of applicants, diversify our workforce in general, 
as we recognize all these issues around bias and racism within medicine. And so I think it's a, a particularly salient point when we talk about the interview season, because how, how can we make our recruitment processes less biased? And it seems like there's like a couple of ways to approach that question. So, you know, are there arguments against relying on even in-person interviews for assessing fit? Like, is there potential for even more bias in an in-person setting for looking at the way people fit? Well, I mean, I, I think that the danger is there regardless of the in-person interview versus virtual interview. Uh, so I think, again, fit is an important aspect of the recruitment process. And I think that we should allow candidates and applicants to assess their own fit within a program because if they don't feel comfortable where they are, then they're not going to do well. But as organizations and as programs, we need to make sure to educate our faculty when we're saying, is this candidate a good fit for our program? We are specifically asking if we are able to meet this individual's needs. If this individual has the educational background that allows him or her to perform well in this program, as opposed to, is that individual like you? Does they, mm-hmm. Do they have the same cultural affinities? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, do you enjoy the same sports? Or, you know, so I think it's the same in in-person interview and virtual interview. It's the same danger. And I think educating mm-hmm. the interviewing faculty and the ranking members of of leadership to what we mean by fit and what things do we need to consider and uh, to avoid these unconscious biases that uh, we can easily fall into when we talk about quote unquote fit is the most important thing. Mm, Yeah, I love the way that you framed that in terms of thinking about as a program and as faculty, are we where we need to be to meet what the what the applicant needs, as opposed to can we mush this person into what we what we already are? Exactly. Um, I think that's a really important distinction and a better way, I think, of approaching what can that relationship be? Like what potential is there here to actually give the prospective trainee what they need to succeed in our field, especially thinking about increasing diversity within the field. Yeah, I appreciate that. What other arguments are there around equity as it relates to virtual interview? Like how can the virtual interview further enhance equity around recruitment? Yeah, so I think, you know, when we consider the future format of recruitment interviews, I think one of the most important considerations should be equity. And I think the past system of in-person interviews was just the status quo, but was certainly not necessarily equitable, right? Because it placed unnecessary financial and time burdens on residents and most certainly favored those who had more resources to interview at more programs and therefore rank more programs and have more chances to, to match. So I think from an equity standpoint, if the choice was between in-person interview or virtual interviews, I think virtual interviews are clearly more equitable because they level the playing field in terms of access to more interviews. But I think our study found that this, interestingly, despite this, applicants still want to have the opportunity of an in-person meeting. 43% wanted a virtual interview with a choice of an in-person visit, right? And so whether this is a result of like natural resistance to change or 
a true need or a perceived need to visit a place before choosing to live there for the next few years of your life is not really clear to me. But if we are to design an interview format that includes the opportunity of an in-person visit for the future, it can't be one that introduces either real or perceived bias from the get-go, right? So what I mean by that is that if we give candidates the choice of an in-person interview versus a virtual interview, our study found that 89% of them feel that their choice will be interpreted as more or less interest in the program and is gonna affect their ranking by the program. So uh, although the majority of the respondents in our study chose to have at least the option of an in-person visit, I think programs still have to design their future interview format specifically to avoid any real or even perception of bias by the candidates. Yeah, I think that that worry was resounding amongst all of the applicants. So it's it's an interesting challenge because they want the option, but they're not going to take the option every time, right? Because they do prefer virtual for a lot of really valid reasons. And so there may be so much that gets read into what choice that they make, some of which may be valid, but some of which may be unfair. And, and everybody has their own individual decisions for, for making the, the choices that they make, or they may be unable to come in person, even though they may still really seriously want to highly rank a program. So, you know, I'm sure there was discussion around practical ways that programs could address some of those concerns. Like what are some of the potential ideas that came out of thinking about how you could facilitate some hybrid version of this in-person versus virtual that would allow applicants that wanted to come in person to do that, but without having it positively or negatively impact their position on the rank list. Yeah. So I actually, the more I think about this, the more complex it it becomes. (laughs) So I'm going to just offer, you know, my thoughts and the discussions that I've had with some of my co-authors and other program directors across the country when we were trying to decide what to do with the next interview season. So yeah, because I I will say for for this time period, just so our listeners know, if they're listening to it at a different time period, Right now we're in early 2022 with a with an interview season that just passed where all programs were basically required to complete another session of virtual or another round of virtual interviews only. And so there was no no possibility of in-person um, to supplement it. I my suspicion is that some people may have traveled individually to see a city, perhaps, yeah. but there was supposed to be no interaction with the programs. So this is now thinking ahead to 2022 and beyond. Yeah, so exactly. So this is basically thinking ahead to a time hopefully to come soon where the pandemic will not be limiting our choices of of interviews. So if we want to quote unquote cater to the applicant's preferences of having at least an option of an in-person visit, I think the best way to do this would be to completely uncouple the ranking list from the interview choice. And so one way to do this would be blinding program leadership to the decision of virtual interview or in-person interview. But if you really think about it, that's not really possible, right? If you can't offer somebody a choice between virtual interview and in-person interview and expect leadership to not know what their choice was, right? Another way would be to offer virtual interviews to everyone and add an optional in-person visit. And 
theoretically, one could blind program leadership to the optional visit and have no one from leadership or the ranking committee actually participate in that optional visit. But I don't know first if that would make the optional visit as useful to the applicants, number one. And I don't also know whether the applicants will trust that their choice Mm -hmm. won't affect their ranking. Even Mm -hmm. if we tell them program leadership has been blinded and whatnot, I don't know that the applicants were actually will, will believe that or will trust that, right? So the only option that would truly guarantee that the in-person visit will not affect anyone's ranking is if the visit occurs after the programs have submitted their rank lists, right? So the program rank list is done, it's certified, we can't change it. And then now we offer the in-person visits. Um, So of course, this is gonna require a whole national change in the rank list due dates, because currently they're both due on the same day for both programs and applicants. So we, we would either have to delay the applicant rank list due date or advance the program's rank list due date. And I think the latter choice, advancing the program's rank list due date, could be somewhat problematic because it would really shorten an already really brief interview season. And then the former, like delaying the applicant's due date could be feasible, but it also, I could see it being problematic for some programs who are geographically located in the northern, you know, climates. And then now all of a sudden all their virtual visits are clustered in the winter month and it's much more difficult to travel and adequately advertise like their city and their location because of the weather. So you know, is that equitable to all programs too? I don't know. Another point that I want to make is that it may be difficult for candidates to to choose which programs Mm -hmm. to visit on that optional visit day, right? Because it's likely that the timeframe for optional visits is now going to be pretty narrow, uh, Mm -hmm. a few weeks maybe at most, and candidates are going to have to quickly decide which programs to visit Therefore, it's going to limit really the number of programs that they're able to visit. So which one do you choose? Uh, If you're choosing your top few programs, what's the likelihood that the visit is actually going to affect your rank list, Mm -hmm. right? And what's the likelihood that you're going to end up matching at one of the programs that you chose to visit? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a lot of questions, right? And does that negate the usefulness of the Mm -hmm. optional visit altogether? And on top of that, does that negate the time, money, and environmental costs Mm -hmm. that we saved with the virtual interviews? And so does that negate equity too? So I I don't know. I I don't think there's a a way to to make a mixed format equitable currently with the the rank lists the way they are. And that's partially why I suspect a lot of programs are going to stick with the virtual interviews only because they feel more equitable, more a cleaner way, right, to interview applicants and and starting everybody on the same level. And even if we separate, I think, the rank list due dates to accommodate for the optional visit, I don't really know how useful they're going to be in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's all sort of said and done and it's at the end right before they put their rank list in. But yeah. it may be more performative for them. Yeah, yeah. that's really, it's really hard. I, I don't think, I, I thought that the, what the applicants want is very clear in theory, but the practical application of it is still really 
challenging to sort yeah. through. So yes, I, I certainly do not have the crystal ball. I thought maybe you would have the crystal ball and tell well, so me what I, it was going to be like. But it, It's funny that you say that because when I, when I first started the survey, I was really determined that the next interview season was going to be for us was going to be virtual interview with an optional visit. And it seemed so clear. But the more I thought about it and discussed it with other people, the more problematic that seemed. And and now I, I really, yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's a good way to do that. Yeah. I think it's, it's hard. I think there's no perfect solution, unfortunately, to this. It does put a lot on the applicant to make decisions a little bit in a vacuum, having not visited in person. And if they still feel like they're missing that fit component or the components around geography that they don't necessarily have a good feel for without the actual in-person visit. Um, There's a leap of faith component that is greater now, I think, with the virtual with the virtual than the in-person. And there always was a leap of faith, but it seems greater now than it was in the past. Yeah, it's true. I think I think that there always was a leap of faith as a true statement because really in a in especially for, you know, really busy residents, if you think back to your interview season, you know, you had to take a, a day or two days off. You wanted to minimize the time that you took off because you had limited time to take for interviews. And so you ended up flying in on a late night flight going to a hotel, waking up really early, rushing to that conference room to interview, and then rushing to the airport later. So, you know, most of the, even the in-person interviews ended up just costing money and time, but really didn't allow for that real experience of the city and the place that we hope to give Mm -hmm. applicants, right? So I, I think it has always been a leap of faith, but like you said, now is even more than before. Mm, but you know, it's interesting the way that you frame it, though. Uh, I think I think that's really helpful to remember what it really was like. Like, I think it's easy for me to remember, you know, the idealized version of my interviews, right? As if I was taking a vacation in these places. But the reality is, you're right. It was probably barely 24 hours, you know, on the ground, and it was pretty hectic. And half the time you're making sure your suit was properly, you know, (laughs) laying flat and everything like that and walking all around. So there's a lot of efficiency that does get built into the virtual interview that can't be overstated as well, both for applicants as well as for faculty. The amount of time that we save um, is, is really actually incredible when you think about it. I also really appreciated that you all pointed out the positive effect, I guess I should say, or bystander positive effect of the lowering the carbon footprint of travel for all these interviews during recruitment season. So that is one other positive thing, especially as pulmonologists, where we want to be cognizant of what we're doing to the climate um, and to our planet. So we can we can check that box at least a little bit with the virtual side. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. I think that you know, the effect on the environment is, you know, everyone's concern and everyone's moral duty. And actually, I was blown away by that when I first read the numbers. My colleague, Dr. Choru, participated in a pro-con debate with me that we published in Chest Issue in October. And she pointed out that there was a study that looked at the carbon emissions from interview travel by medical student in 2019 was equivalent to the amount of carbon dioxide produced by more than 11,000 cars in one year. So it's just mind blowing. And that's just the medical students. So if you, you know, multiply that by all the residency programs and the subspecialty programs, 
I think it would be wonderful if we can alleviate the burden on the planet by changing the way we do things. Yeah, maybe it's one small thing that (laughs) that program can claim to be assisting with, hopefully. Well, what about the flip side, right? We've been very focused on the applicants. And of course, this is the the paper was about applicants. But as a program director and as, as a group of program directors that put this together, of course, there is the whole other side of things. So what do you make of the program's experience having interviewed fellows via the virtual method? Um, over the past couple of years? Like, how do you feel like on your end, you were able to gauge your applicants? What was your experience of the applicants? And is there anything that you feel is missing that makes you miss the days of in-person? Yeah. So I'll just start by saying that just as it was for the applicants, virtual interviews really do make it much easier for the programs as well, logistically, financially, in terms of time. So there's definitely a cost savings and time savings for coordinators, for faculty, for interviewers, for everybody. And then as a program director, I feel that virtual interviews to me, and I think to a lot of my colleagues, were just as informative as in-person interviews and kind of our ability to gauge candidates and whether they're appropriate for our program. The only maybe small thing that I've found to be lacking is for some candidates who can be a little bit too reserved in front of a screen, you know, not very verbal or talkative. That can be hard when this is the only opportunity you have to interact with them. And it can be hard to judge how they truly interact with others, which is an important skill for physicians to have. So in the in-person interview, you still have the ability to put these people at ease, to chat with them in between interviews, you know, lunch or tours, et cetera. And that can give a more reliable picture of some of the candidates uh, who can be kind of camera shy. But for the majority of the candidates, I feel that virtual interviews are just totally as adequate as in-person interviews. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's reassuring then too. Was there anything else that you wish you could have asked? Like after you got all of these responses back, you were like, ooh, I still have this burning question. So, I mean, I think the main question that I'm now curious about, I couldn't have asked with that survey. I'm curious about the outcome of the match after virtual interviews compared to in-person interviews. So what I mean by that is, is there a difference in the trainee's satisfaction with the program or the rate of attrition or their performance in a program if they matched after an in-person interview versus a virtual interview? So just, just like you said, is now that they've matched after a virtual interview, do they feel that they really like they were completely misled by the virtual (laughs) interview and this is really not the place that they want to be? Or is there a difference between in-person interviews and virtual interviews and in these outcomes? The other thing that I wonder about is whether as we continue to do the virtual interviews and it becomes the new norm, will applicants' opinions about the best format for interview change? Mm-hmm. Because now they're used to it, we're better at doing it, will it be more comfortable? And will more than just 9% choose virtual interviews mm-hmm. exclusively as their, as their preferred interview method? So I'd, I'd love a follow-up to that survey. And then finally, 
I think since most people think that virtual interviews will improve equity by leveling the playing field, at least for the you know access to interviews, I really would be curious to see if they have truly led to a more diverse group of fellows that we've we end up recruiting and matching. And I think that's a, that's an easy enough question to answer that we probably will have an answer to from looking at the NRMP demographics and things like that of, of people who matched. But these are the three questions that are still outstanding in my mind. Hmm. Yeah. So future studies to be done. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it is going to be impossible to answer because Absolutely. you can't do a choose your own adventure and do both lifestyles. But yeah, I think yeah, no randomized control studies here. Yeah, right. Not not in this side of meta for sure. Right. Well, so how did how does all of this your experience, both your experience over the last couple of years, but also now this deep understanding that you have of what it is that applicants really are looking for and value from their interview day? How does how is that going to inform how you go forward with your next interview season, assuming that we continue in this way? Yeah. So like we said, we found that there are like two main things that were missing for applicants. The first one was had to do with the intangibles. So program culture and faculty fellow relationships. And I think that could be addressed by allowing more time for the candidates to interact with the fellows during the virtual interview process, but in a less structured way. But again, during the interview process, so giving them more time for lunch, either one-on-one or in small groups with the fellows, just to kind of be able to hear from the fellows themselves about how they like the program, how, the, how they get along with their faculty and, and things of that sort. There could be other more inventive and ingenious ways to, to do this. I think each program will have to find their own. The other main uh, issue that applicants I think thought was missing was their ability to evaluate the like physical location the city and the hospitals and interestingly in our study they really didn't find the virtual tours to be very helpful I can't help but wonder whether that was really because most of these were put together at the last minute because they were not professionally done and we were that interview season was really very quickly put together because of the pandemic and we weren't really prepared. So I'm wondering whether a more professionally done videos may convey better information. Uh, but that remains of one of the questions that we, we have for the futures. How, how can we convey a better feel for the location and the city to our applicants and, and what elements are we missing? Or are we going to just have to let them visit these cities at their own leisure, I guess, throughout the, the interview season, but without necessarily meeting with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think you mentioned in, your, in this paper about how the geography, because of the inability, and of course, some of the inability to travel was because of the pandemic, not specifically because of the virtual interviews, but the, the inability to, to visit a place, especially the geographic location, impacted the applicants to oftentimes stay kind of closer into where they already were or to like reach for spaces or places where they already had support networks built in. So maybe a little bit less of uh, taking a risk on a new environment, which is which is just an interesting, you know, demographic shift, I think that for better or for worse, but maybe happening within medicine. It's it is interesting that geography uh, was one of the things that uh, was more important to them during virtual interviews. But we actually did ask a question that basically tried to answer whether because of the virtual interview format, they were more likely to rank 
their home institution higher when, when it was applicable. And most of them actually didn't think that, that they were. So although geography was more important, it may have been, and I, I don't know, I'm just, it's a conjecture on my part here, but it may have been like places that they were more familiar with mm -hmm. rather than their specific location at the time when they were interviewing. So they were not necessarily more likely to rank their home institution higher because it feels safe and they're familiar with it, but they did give geography and the proximity mm -hmm. of support system a higher 30% of them thought that they, they gave it a higher importance because it was a virtual interview mm -hmm. rather than an in-person interview. Right. Yeah. Still hard to untangle from like yeah. pandemic effects because of everybody's in a challenge of traveling to visit family and, and yeah. their support networks and things like that. So it's, it's hard, it's hard to untangle all of these things. And certainly our lives going forward will forever be entangled with the pandemic um, and our careers, especially. So they are sort of one in the same in the end. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Alam, this has been such a valuable conversation for me. Thank you so much. Any parting words of advice going into, you know, the next recruitment season for either applicants or for programs? Yeah. So, you know, I think throughout this process, my thinking, like I told you before, has really evolved on this topic uh, as we went through the, th the survey study and the past two interview season. I think I do feel better in the current state of things about continuing to offer virtual interviews exclusively because uh, even without the constraints of the pandemic, because I do think it is the most equitable format at this time. What this study also made me realize is that we're likely to continue to see an increase in our application numbers, uh, in part due to you know, virtual interviews, making interviews more accessible to more people. So I'm trying to be much more thoughtful about which candidates to choose to invite for an interview. Because with a large number of applications received, it's really easy to just go back to relying on the traditional metrics, such as board scores, which we know are you know, useless, med school and residency program reputations, things like that, to choose candidates to interview. But I feel that this would really negatively affect the diversity and the equity. So at least in our program, we've been trying to find a way to do a, even a more holistic review of applications mm -hmm. from the get-go, despite the increase in numbers and time constraints, uh, and to be more intentional in recruiting a diverse candidates. So these are my takeaway and my two cents from this. Yeah, I think that's a great sort of capstone around this discussion is how ultimately our role as as educators within pulmonary and critical care how we should be supporting applicants and interested students and residents from as broad and as diverse a background as we can without anchoring on those same metrics that indicate the privilege with where they came from, but rather pay a little bit more attention to how much did they harness the opportunities that they actually were afforded as, as a better indicator for what's to come. And then we get to do the fun stuff of giving them even more of those opportunities when they get to fellowship. But it's this matter of like matching and, and identifying those 
potential folks, which is which is the hard part. But a lot of that, it's a good point. A lot of that work gets done long before the interview, right? By sorting yeah. through thousands of applications. So which is the hard, which is the hard part. Yeah. And I think the part where we have to really, you know, that we really have to pay attention to mm-hmm. so that we're not mm-hmm. just relying on our old biases, like you said. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't have said it better than you. So that, mm. that was, no, I totally it's, agree. It's effortful. It's definitely effortful, but it's it's an investment in what in the future of our field. Yeah. Again, Dr. Alam, thank you so so much for for this paper, for your very valuable work in this uh, sort of niche of recruitment and interviews as things shift um, over the coming years. We'll see, and hopefully, we will get to travel a little bit more ourselves. I would love to meet you in person one day at one of these meetings. Um, and to all of our listeners, thank you all for. Tuning in to this week's episode of Scholarly. If you liked this episode, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To listen to more episodes and see show notes from today's discussion, you can visit our webpage at atsjournals.org backslash scholarly. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.